sophomore year in high school, Dick Fosbury struggled to find his place in the Medford High School track team. You see, he wanted to compete in high jump, but he struggled to clear the five, heat, five feet clearance height that was the entry point for most high school meets there in the 1960s. And he couldn't quite get a hang of the predominant methods used for high jump during those days, where typically the runner would run at the bar, would jump forward over the bar, fling one leg up, then the other leg, kind of like a straddle or a scissors motion, and then land on the other side. Now, Dick Fosbury was a creative guy, and he noticed that the rules in track and field stipulated that you only have to jump off of one foot, but it did not dictate what angle or what direction you went over the bar. So he started to experiment with a completely different way of high jump. When everybody was going forward, Dick Fosbury experimented jumping backwards. So he would run up to the bar backwards and jump back, arches back, and go that way. And it looked ridiculous. In fact, the Medford Tribune had a photo of Dick Fosbury completing high jump in that way. And the caption read, Fosbury flops over bar. And they described him as a fish flopping on a boat. Another local newspaper described him as the world's laziest high jumper. And as crazy as that looked, again, everybody's running one way and Fosbury's doing it the opposite. As crazy as that was, it started to work. Between his sophomore and senior year, Fosbury started to perfect this new technique. And by his senior year, he cleared six feet, five and a half inches, setting a brand new school record in high jump. He would go on to compete at Oregon State University. And there in 1968, Dick Fosbury won the national title in high jump, clearing over seven feet, two inches. That summer was the Summer Olympics. So he represented the United States there in Mexico City. And in 1968, that summer, Dick Fosbury, doing a new strategy, a new way of doing high jump, won the Olympic gold medal. Not so funny anymore, is it? <laughs> Actually, since that gold medal performance, the Fosbury flop has become the predominant way of doing high jump, and for the last 50 years, has pretty much been the only way that everyone across the world competes in that event. See, the Fosbury flop represents what's called a paradigm shift. You can define a paradigm shift as an important change that happens when the usual way of thinking or doing something is replaced by a new and different way. What I want to talk to you this morning about is a paradigm shift that's much more important than the event of high jump. And this paradigm shift took place 2,000 years ago and completely changed religion 
in relationships as we know it. We're wrapping up a series today that's entitled Empower University, where we've been talking about each and every week how we as Christians, as believers, can live with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. How can we be spirit-filled and spirit-led? And we've talked things like parenting and relationships and work and finances. And today I wanna talk to you for a few minutes about what does it mean to live out a life of empowered service. And we're gonna take a look at two passages found in Mark chapter nine and then in Mark chapter 10. And we're gonna see this incredible paradigm shift. But let me give you this structure ahead of time. We're gonna actually, in each passage, we're gonna see three things. We're gonna see first, the power of Jesus. It's gonna be awesome. Second, we're gonna see the problem with the disciples. They're gonna struggle. <laughs> and then third, we're gonna see the paradigm shift. And the fact that the disciples struggle is actually an encouraging thing to me because if the disciples who saw miracle and miracle and miracle and sermon and prayer day in, day out, and they still didn't get it, that actually gives me hope because there are times, I don't know about you, where I don't get it. Thankfully, Jesus still works through us. So watch this, this is gonna be incredible. You're gonna see the power of Jesus, then you're gonna see the problem with the disciples, and then you're gonna see this paradigm shift. And you're gonna see it twice. And in 15 years of being a pastor, I never seen this connection before. Because normally you zone in on preaching on one passage. But today we're gonna actually look at the context a little bit before it and see the setup before the paradigm shift. So in Mark chapter nine, we don't have time to go through all of the verses. But in the first few sections, there's this incredible story about the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus takes some of his disciples to the top of this mountain. They have this transcendent spiritual experience that really you see like glowing. You see representations of like prophets of the Old Testament. I almost picture like if you remember, if you're a fan of Star Wars, like when the old Jedis like show up and they're like here, like, wow, this is incredible. Except this really happened. So you hear the voice of God talking about Jesus, his son. The disciples are like, man, this is amazing. We should never leave. And so they see the glory and the light and the power of Jesus. They come down the mountain. Then Jesus actually casts out a demon in a boy and says, get out of there. And so you see this incredible picture and we pick it up in verse 30. And so then they went down from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the Son of Man, now the Son of Man, you're going to see this title a couple times. It's in reference to a, a title that was given in the Old Testament that represents the coming Messiah or Savior. And so when you see Son of Man, think Jesus and think Savior. And so Jesus is claiming to be this Messiah, Savior. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. And so again, just to set the stage, Mount of Transfiguration, the very glory of God shining down. Jesus casts out a demon and then he tells the disciples, the son of man, me, that 
Jesus am going to be killed for you, but fear not, for I will rise again on the third day. Jesus is predicting his death, burial, and resurrection. And this is crazy. And so how did the disciples respond? Did they break out into a prayer service? Did they break out into worship all night long? No. They, they didn't understand. I just, I just picture, like, if you've ever been in class and a professor or teacher says something and then turns to the class and says, all right, everybody get it? And you have this like blank look. Yeah, yeah, of course I got it, yeah. Totally know what you're talking about. <laughs> they didn't get it. Because notice, watch this in the next verse. And they came to Copernicus. And when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. <laughs> Transfiguration, casting out a demon. I'm going to die for you. Disciples, I'm better than you are. Right? You ever been on a road trip and your kids fight behind you? And they don't, you don't even know why they're fighting. I'm the best. Like, like we, we love to like rank everything. We love to just like, no, I want this. It's mine, 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 this. I want this plate, this cup, this seat. That's what the disciples were doing. Like they just saw the power of God and they're like, I'm better than you. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, you're not. Uh -uh. I want to see that in like a courtroom setting. You know, someone makes a legal argument and instead of like rebuttal, the lawyer just stands up and goes, uh-uh. This is, this, is, this is how far we've come as a human race. And because uh, we still do this, don't we? And so they're arguing about who is the greatest. And then Jesus sits him down, called the 12, and he has a parent talk. Listen, you guys are not getting it. He says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child. Now, some of you might be thinking, whoa, 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 where'd the child come from? Exactly. The disciples didn't even notice. They were so worried about their ranking, they didn't notice a child in need right next to them. And Jesus takes the child, puts him in the midst of them, taking him in his arms. I love how Jesus loves kids. I love that. I love that people back then and, and people in power and politics and religion and education say, man, we have our title, we have our authorities, we enslave people, give me money, give me service, give me, and Jesus says, no, 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 you, come here, come here, right here. And to the disciples, he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him sent me. You see the shift? The power and the glory of God. And the disciples go, hey, 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 who's the best though? Come on, come on. Who's the best? I'm the best, right? right? Like if you had to pick one, Jesus, like you'd pick me, right? I'd be first. And Jesus says, while you guys were arguing, you didn't even notice this kid in need. You want to be first, be last. 
You want to be the best? Serve and meet needs and love those that the world doesn't. Because when you love one child, one person, meet one need, you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for God. So you would think in that moment, after all the sermons, all the miracles, and the fact that Jesus had this incredible teaching point, I mean, you almost see like the commercials like of the puppies, you know, with the song like Alanis Morissette or the, you know, in the arms of the angel, like there's this little child like right there. Like you wanna talk about the emotions that these disciples have to have man, we blew that one. Okay, Jesus, we get it. We get it. We are with you from now on until the very next chapter. Because <laughs> they make the exact same mistake again. Watch this. So Jesus is teaching. And then he goes on to verse 32 in the very next chapter. Then they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying that we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So Jesus just predicted his own Suffering. He is about to walk into a blender of suffering. Every possible kind of suffering, Jesus is about to experience, and he knows it's coming, and he walks into that anyway, and he's going to tell his disciples, I am doing this for you, and it's going to hurt. So how did the disciples respond this time? Did they break out into worship? Did they sing songs of gratefulness? And no, Jesus, we're gonna pray for you. Let's find out, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, another passage, they have the nickname, the sons of thunder. So you know they're not gonna be up to any good. They came up to him and said, hey, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. And Jesus said, you do not know what you're asking. Here Jesus is pouring out his heart, saying, I'm about to be killed for you. And James and John, their response, shotgun. I call shotgun in heaven, dibs. Jesus, can I sit there? Can I sit there? Can I sit next to you? Is this how heaven works? Can I just call it? <laughs> Where the previous chapter, they're like the kids arguing in the back. This chapter, they're like, shotgun, shotgun in heaven, my seat. Wait, what? <laughs> so you don't know what you're asking. He says, the cup that I'm about to drink, that what I'm about to go through, you, you can't handle that. We fast forward a couple verses of verse 41. It says this, and when he heard it, they, the disciples heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. I love this. They're not mad at James and John for disrespecting Jesus. They're mad because they called it first. 
think about that. It's like, oh man, I should have done that. They don't deserve that. That should be my seat. And Jesus is like, guys, you don't get it. He called them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, that whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. If you're gonna mark any verses down from today, mark this down, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, there's that title again, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says it's not about having the title and having the power, because I have that. You want a title? How about the fact that I created the world? How about the fact that I'm allowing you to exist right now? How about the fact that in a few short days, I am gonna go to the cross to die for your sins? Yet Jesus offers this incredible paradigm shift where the world says, me, me, me. And Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. He says, you got it all backwards. You're trying to jump the wrong way. You want to be first and be last. You want to be the top, you got to serve. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because here's what every this come, everything comes together. Don't seek status. Seek service. Don't seek status. Seek service. The disciples were so worried about their ranking, about who was the best and who would get the best seat. We love our rankings, don't we? Sports, college football, oh, the rankings, oh, right? In movies, in TV shows, in fashion, in cars, in buildings, we want the best. People argue over and over and over again. If you love basketball like I do, you, you, you have a, an opinion when it comes to the debate of who is the best basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. I don't know why that's a debate because it is clearly Michael Jordan. Right? Clearly. And if you believe LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time, there are a lot of good churches here in the Valley. And I just want to encourage... No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Come on. Six and oh. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. We, we do this, right? Just pick your subject. And, and you argue and we debate. We want, we want the ranking. We want the title. And Jesus actually comes in and says, guys, you've got it all wrong. You're looking at this thing backwards. Don't seek status, seek service. Because when you love and serve and give to that one person, you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for me. And it makes all the difference in the world. Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. When you seek God, 
you follow him and obey him and do what Jesus did. It says in 1 John 2, 6, to walk as Jesus walked or to live as Jesus lived. Jesus had all the power, all the authority, all the titles, but he didn't use his power to push people down. Instead, he created a platform to lift people up. You want a healthy marriage? It should be a race to the back of the line. You want to make a difference in your workplace? You should look for opportunities to serve and make your company, your division, your ministry, your relationships better. Because humble servants don't come in for what they can get, but instead what they can give. And this shift changes everything. So how do we know where we are? Well, in cars, you have lights on the dash that tell you when certain things come up. I was grateful this week when the little ding and the light popped up and told me, hey, I'm almost on empty. And that light told me about where I really was, and then I did something about it. Well, I wanna give you an assessment. I'm not gonna say attitude adjustment because you can decide if you need to make that adjustment or your spouse. I'm not gonna get in the middle of that one. But I wanna give you three questions to give yourself a self-assessment to check in and see, okay, where is my attitude? Where is my heart when it comes to serving others? First, ask yourself, am I acting selfish or selfless? The root of every sin is based in selfishness and pride. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, my way, and I don't care about others. I have to be right, I have to feel right, it feels great. God wants me happy. Of course I want this. Or are you being selfless? No, you go first. You can have that. I wanna help you. Second question, are you feeling comfortable or courageous? Now comfort is a little bit different. Like comfort is the idea that when you're struggling, when you're hurting, you're suffering, God, actually, the Holy Spirit is also called the comforter. And so he brings you comfort in the midst of affliction. But sometimes I think when we are too comfortable, God brings in affliction to get us out of our comfort zone, right? Nothing great ever done was done so at a state of being too comfortable. No championship in sports happened because, man, we were just so comfortable out there. Great. No commander in the military. How did you win that battle? You know, we were just so comfortable. It was great. No, it took courage. Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua 1 9, he was about to enter the promised land. And, and God actually gives him this peace, this promise, says, do not be afraid. Instead, be strong and comfortable. No, he said, be strong and and courageous. The greatest things in life happen on the other side of courage. And the third question is, are you a consumer or a contributor? 
Gimme, 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 gimme. What's in it for me? Come on, gimme, gimme, gimme. Or you say, you know what? I'll help you with that. Imagine for a moment that you are a boss. Some of you are like, I am a boss, okay? This message is for you. And uh, no, um, imagine that you have two people that come in to interview for a position at your company. The first person comes in and says, how would you describe yourself? Well, I'm selfish, I'm comfortable, and I'm a consumer. What do you got for me? You feel ready to hire that person? In Florida, I once, probably one of the most humorous interviews I had for an internship was a guy came in and it was something off. He kept asking me about different stuff that he wanted. And then I said, okay, you know, I don't know if this is working out great, but I'll give you another chance. Uh, just come in Thursday at two and we'll finish the interview and I'll let you know. He said, that's great. Um, one more thing. He told me, he goes, can you call me Thursday morning to remind me of my interview? And I was like, you want me to call you to remind you because you're gonna forget to come in so that maybe you could work for me? He's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, you got it, buddy. You got it. He walked out the door and I was like, there's his resume and uh, I didn't call and he didn't show. Believe it or not, and he didn't get the job. Um, now imagine the other side though. Imagine if somebody comes in and they immediately start showing an attitude of selflessness. Hey, how can I help? They have an attitude of courage. Says, you know what, that problem is tough, but we can do it. We can take that hell. Amen. <laughs> and then they have a contributing spirit. It's not gimme, gimme, gimme. It's like, I can help with that. I can help with that. And they go above and beyond. You want that person working in your company, don't you? You wanna be that person. You can. Let me share with you three practical ways to start doing that this week. This comes from a pastor named Dave Ferguson. He's got a great book called Bless. It's about how to evangelize in the 21st century. It's an awesome book, highly recommend it. But he shares this, when it comes to serving well, it requires three things. Number one, serve with proximity or serve in proximity. In other words, look nearby. I love mission trips. I've traveled to different countries, different parts of the world, and I love that. But sometimes I think we get caught up in the big move that we're unwilling to go across the street or have the conversation at work. You know, most of the miracles that Jesus did was as he went somewhere. Do you notice that? He didn't say, hey, let's go to this town so I can do these miracles. He was walking and there someone comes up to him and then the miracle happens. Some of the greatest experiences in your life will take place when you are obedient on the move. So serve with proximity, look who's nearby. Number two, serve personally. Just meet a need. You know, you might not be able to completely pay for someone's college, but you can bring a meal, you can send a text, you can work in the yard, you can put the dishes away. Kids, you wanna blow your parents' minds? Just load or unload the dishwasher and make your beds without your parents asking. 
Husbands, you want to blow your wife's mind? Do the same thing and then try not to take credit for it. Does anyone else struggle like, with that like I do? Like my wife will work on something and do all these things, and then I'll do one thing, hang one picture, put away one dish, and be like, hey, look what I did. Aren't you so blessed to have me? <laughs> we do that. We love taking credit, right? Just meet a need. Just see it and meet it. And then third, serve powerfully. What if we made the supernatural? Here's what I mean. We walk through our life, the mundane, the routine, the, the rhythms, the schedules, okay? And then I read the Bible and I see these miracles and these crazy stories. But I've come to believe and to pray and to think that God back then is just as much alive now. And the fact is that the Holy Spirit, the same one that rose Jesus from the dead, now lives in all those who believe in him. You have the same power that conquered death, created the world, provided salvation, living in you. That means that forgiveness is possible. That means that trust and love and joy and purpose is possible. That means that you can walk in, not for what you can get, but what you can give. And you can make your department, your division, your community, your school, your team, your family better with the presence of God. That in a world that is filled with darkness, in a world where everyone's after greed and possessions, take, 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 take. And you come in with the posture of humility and obedience and service and love, it is life-changing and life-giving. And it is a complete paradigm shift for religion and relationships, amen? So as the band comes up, I wanna just end this morning's message with this verse from Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, we are plan A and there is no plan B. And we have the opportunity to love, to serve and to give life to people the way that Jesus has promised and given life to us. The whole world is going this way. And Jesus came onto the scene and said, nope, <laughs> you have it all wrong. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And I want you to do the same. And I'm gonna give you my spirit. I'm gonna give you the ability to do that. Church, what? where our community to look like. If we loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then we turned around and we fiercely and relentlessly loved people the way that Jesus loved us. I believe, church, that we are right on the edge of community revival. And it starts with prayer, 
starts with praise. It starts with us. And it starts with us going out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day that ends in Y. And loving people the way that Jesus loved us. If you do that, you'll have a life of empowered service and a life that's going to bring glory to Him and a life that can change this community. Will you join me? Dear God, just thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for giving us the picture of service, of sacrifice. And God, I pray that we can honor you, not just with our words, but with our lives. Help us not to seek status. It's not wrong to go after our dreams, but God, you have placed us in positions of responsibility to serve, not to be served. Help us to walk into the workplace tomorrow and into our relationships and community and friendships, looking to love those around us. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Help us to love this world as you have loved us. In your sins that we pray, amen.